0: Today's scripture comes from Deuteronomy 5, verses 30 through 33. This is God speaking to Moses and he says, go tell them, the Israelites, to return to their tents. But you stay here with me so that I may give you all the commands, decrees and laws that you are to teach them to follow in the land that I am giving you to possess. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prolong and prosper in the land you are to possess. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, when I was in junior high, I used to listen to a song and uh, the chorus went something like this. We are in a state of flux. F-L-U-X, flux. What does that mean? So I looked it up, and to my relief, I found out that flux does not have anything to do with the medical condition acid reflux. However, flux does mean that something is in the process of continuous change or a continued flow in science. So is the band right? Are we in a state of flux? I would argue that, yes, this world Humanity is indeed in a state of flux. You go outside and you look at the world around you, and it seems that things are moving faster and faster than ever. Technology is progressing at such a rapid rate. Uh, On Friday, the iPhone 6 came out, and that was just when you were learning how to use your iPhone 5. And now you can communicate with people across the world easier than ever, and ideas spread at a rapid pace. And so you learn more and more things, and you're forced to forget things and leave things behind. And if people aren't moving fast enough, well, they better get with the program or they get left behind. And so is it like that with the church? If humanity is like that, I would say, yes, the church is in a state of flux, too. You look at our youth programs, and we're trying to to get more and more lesson plans and ideas and activities to keep the kids coming back. You have new sermon plans and and bands that sound like a rock concert to fill up the offering plates or to fill up the attendance books. And it's amazing the effect the world has on the church. We move so fast that we have little time to settle down and to place roots in one particular area or in one group of people. But should the church be like that? Today is is a youth-led Sunday. You've heard the the youth read liturgy. You've heard the New Zion Choir sing. And considering the number of youth involved in the American church and the worldwide church, I think this is really special to even have a youth-led Sunday. And when they were looking for somebody to to give a message on youth-led Sunday, they came to me, and unfortunately for you, I accepted that. And so uh, I've come down from Austin but instead of sharing my past 22 years of experiences with this church, instead I'd, I'd rather look forward to the future and, and share a vision I have, not only for Alamo Heights but for the worldwide church. But first, we better go over some scripture context. What are we doing in Deuteronomy 5:30 through 33? Well, you see, when God is speaking to Moses here and the Israelites. The Israelites are on the verge of the promised land. They're not there yet, but they can see it just right across the river. It's right there. They can see it. They're looking into their future. But in Deuteronomy, Moses has spent the past month going over all the events of the Exodus, recounting the past events, showing them how far they've come. And so you have this weird collision of future and past. Well, today we're celebrating. Actually, this month we're celebrating our 20th year in this building, and we're celebrating all the events and the blessings that have come through it. But it's also youth led Sunday, and we're looking forward toward the future, not only of this church, but we're praying for the future of the worldwide church. So we find ourselves in a position that's rather similar to those people in Deuteronomy five. So, like I said, God is speaking to Moses in this passage, and he tells Moses to remind the people, hey, they need to follow my commandments. They need to listen to me so that it will go well with them, so that they can live and prosper and prolong their days. Well, this morning, I think we're looking for a way to prosper and prolong our days in the future. So why not look to Deuteronomy 5? Why not look to Jesus in the early church who probably looked to Deuteronomy 5 from time to time? If we want to thrive as a church in the future, I suggest that we look back to our past where we became God's people and received our mission. So that begins with the Exodus. God takes the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, and he begins to mold them as his own people. And through their redemption, God expects Israel to redeem others, to be an example of what it means to be in relationship with God, to be a light to the nations. And how do they become this example? They follow God's commandments to love God, to love others, to serve others. And among these commandments is a constant insistence to take care of those who are often most vulnerable in the world or most at a disadvantage, like the widow and the orphan and the foreigner. But unfortunately, you see, Israel began to distance themselves from God's calling. Rob Bell writes that Moses gave three speeches in Deuteronomy for a very specific reason. He said, Moses can see the days of abundance and blessing coming. And he knows that someday Israel will not only have enough, they'll have more than enough. And along with this abundance and blessing is the tremendous temptation to forget the God who provided it. And then he says this, how how do you forget God? You forget God when you forget the people God cares about. And so throughout the Old Testament, God struggles to get his people back on the mission of God, of restoration and renewal of this earth through relationship with God. And then in the first century, 2000 years ago, Jesus comes. And his message is very clear, remember, remember the mission Remember what you were put on earth to do, to restore and renew creation, to bring everybody back to God. But Jesus, he does something that the Israelites could have never hoped to do after the Exodus. You see, he is crucified and resurrected after three days. And though Jesus never sinned, he was treated like a sinner and put to death. But through his death. Not only can the Jews be in relationship with God, but everybody can. You and me, we can all be part of God's mission now to restore the earth, to bring everybody back to loving God with all of our heart, soul and might. N.T. Wright says this. Jesus is raised. So God's new creation, it's begun and we His followers, we have a job to do. Jesus is raised. And so now we need to act as his heralds, announcing his lordship to the entire world, making his kingdom come. And if you read the book of Acts, you see that's what the early followers of Jesus did. Acts says that these people were devoted to study. They were constantly united and gave freely. And they praised God continually for all of this. And because of this, Acts says that the Lord added to the numbers of Jesus' followers daily. And in the book of James, you read that pure and faultless religion is simply caring for the orphan and the widow. He's echoing back to the commandments we received when we first became God's people. And these early disciples of Jesus, they were committed to the mission of God, to restoring Earth. But what happened? What happened 2,000 years later? And it seems like we're in the same kind of position as they were. If not, maybe even a little worse off sometimes, right? What happened? Well, I would argue that just like Israel, the early church began to taste success and feel perceived power from the world. And they also strayed from God. And in the midst of all that, it was hard for them to hear God's voice. And God's called to come back on mission. So this morning, as we focus on the words of God, in the words in Deuteronomy 5, we're looking for a way to get back on mission. And so I want to share with you a vision I have for the church. First, I'd like to have a, a church. I would hope to see a church in the future, not only at Alamo Heights, but in the world. That loves God with all of its heart, its soul, and its strength. These are words you say every day when you come to church. It comes from Deuteronomy 6, right after Deuteronomy 5, 30 through 33. It's the Shema. And the Shema is simply a call for all of us to rededicate our hearts, our minds, and our purposes to the Lord. To set aside our own plans. And to remind ourselves that, hey, we're on earth. To do God's mission, not to do our own. And I wish that every church would say the Shema every day. Jesus probably said it two to three times a day, at least. Most likely more than that. And it's an easy way to remind yourselves of what we're really on earth to do. And that's to bring people into relationship with God. To bring God's rule all over earth, as it was in Genesis 1. I would hope to see a church in the future that loves the people in its community, its immediate surroundings without hesitations or limits. And, you know, that's something the church has really struggled with from time to time, even in the book of James, the first century of this millennium or the last millennium. Excuse me. James writes, don't distinguish between the poor and the rich that come to your church. We're all brothers and sisters. You see, we've struggled with that from the beginning. But. On the flip side of that, the Romans used to talk about how Christians used to go above and beyond. See how they, want, how they love one another, the Romans used to say. And so we've struggled with it, but we've also at times really succeeded in that. And I'm asking that we as the church, we continue along that path of success in loving the people in our community. I'm asking that. We stretch ourselves just a little bit further than normal. I don't know what that looks like for you. Sometimes it means going to visit a family member or a church member or somebody that you just met in the hospital. Or maybe you're walking along the street and you stop and you have a conversation or you pray with somebody in need. I work at a church in downtown Austin and they host... Breakfast is for the homeless population around the church every Tuesday and Thursday throughout the year. And this past spring, when I was an intern at this church, I had the opportunity to volunteer on Thursday mornings after the breakfast and help lead the worship service. And, you know, I thought, OK, worship service for people who are in need. I can serve, right? I can be of use. I can help people. But I quickly began to realize that I was not helping people so much as they were helping me. And so one morning, this sticks out to me. I was walking in to the lobby of the church and it was raining, which is a miracle itself in Texas. Amen. But I I remarked to the man I I just happened to encounter and I said, man, this is awful weather. I wish it would stop being so muggy, so gross outside. And without missing a beat, this man who I never met before told me, you know, rain is a gift from God. And it blesses all of God's creation. It's just little things like that. That started my day off on the perfect note. But not only that day, it extended through my whole semester, even up to today. Those mornings affected my faith in a way that I can't even begin to explain to you. You see, God always calls us a little bit further in loving others. And he never wants us to become complacent complacent and I believe I sincerely believe that if the church ever reaches complacency then it's missed an opportunity to love somebody in need I would hope to see a church that is mission-oriented that moves beyond these walls that doesn't look just inward at itself but outward toward the world this is closely related to loving the immediate community but some of us were called to go beyond to other areas of the world We are, after all, all different parts of the body of Christ. And if you've never been on a trip outside of San Antonio with this church or with another group to serve and to meet up with other churches in a different area, then I encourage you to do so at least one time, just just to taste what it's like to go to a different place and be involved in the mission of Jesus, which is all over the world. I used to be in New Zion Youth Choir way back in the day. And um, believe it or not, you might agree with me. My favorite part of New Zion was the annual summer mission trip that we used to take. Um, And it gave me and other youth an opportunity to go outside of San Antonio and and to, to do some work each summer to help out somehow in a place I had never been before. And one of the trips that sticks out to me is, Um, I believe in the summer of 2006, I was in seventh grade and we went to Oklahoma City and we ended up in downtown Oklahoma City at a church pastored by a man named John. And John wasn't from Oklahoma City. He was from Africa. And somehow he ended up in a downtown church full of people who suffered from poverty or the circumstances that surround poverty. But John was a very special man. And what everyone remembers most from that trip Is John's personality, his infectious attitude, his happiness that never seemed to fade. I remember somebody once asking John, John, how can you be so happy all the time? What a simple question. And and it earned a simple response. John said, happiness is a choice. Every morning I wake up and I choose to be happy. You see... When you love this community around you or when you go beyond, even though you are putting yourself out there to serve, you are also setting yourself up to be transformed by the love of Christ. And I would hope that the future church can move into different communities in different areas and not only affect those communities in a positive way, but also be affected. And finally, I would hope to see a church that brings heaven to earth by following God wherever he calls and by doing the things God asks. And so how do we do that? That's such a that's such a vague vision, you might say. How do we bring heaven to earth? Well, I think we find it in Deuteronomy 5. God says, do the things I've asked you to do. Follow the mission. Be a part of my team. And heaven will come to earth. Whether that's loving God or loving somebody else or serving somebody else. I like to think, or I try to think, before I do anything or say anything, I want to check off those three boxes in my mind. Do I love God through this? Do I love somebody else? Do I serve somebody else? And if it meets that, then you're probably participating in the mission of God. And this is not something you do. I think this is the most important part. This is not something you do under duress or out of, you know, fear that you might get punished if you don't do it. That you'll be threatened with force. It's not something you do because you're commanded to do it. It's something you do out of a passion or a love you have. There was a French philosopher named Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. And he said one time, if you want to build a ship, you don't drum people up together and you don't assign them tasks to go collect wood and start working. What you do is this. You teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. So you must have that passion, that fire before you can start building God's kingdom, before you can successfully be a part of the mission of God. Paul reminds us in first Corinthians that it doesn't matter what you do. If it's not out of love, it's not worth it. You must have that drive within you, that passion, that fire. And I think the church has missed this for many years now, because when most people come to church, they see it as an obligation As a box to check off, saying, oh, I have to go to church this Sunday. But instead of an obligation, what if we saw it as an opportunity? As a a chance to to convene, to be the body of Christ, to build each other up, and then go out into the world and build God's kingdom. There's a rabbi who used to be the chief rabbi in the United Kingdom. His name is Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. And he once said this, in the last month of Moses' life, which is essentially the book of Deuteronomy... Moses planted a vision in the people's minds. He planted hope in their hearts, a discipline in their deeds, and a strength that would never, ever fade. Now, what if we were Moses? What if the future church was Moses? What if we planted a vision and hope and discipline and a strength? Imagine what we could do together. I think there's a, there's a popular saying, you might have heard it. And it goes something like this. Those who do not know history are doomed to repeat it. Well, I think we learned this morning that if we do know our history as God's people, if we remember where we came from and the mission laid out before us, if we remember history, then we are destined to repeat it.